Hi, welcome to the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th TV series edition. I'm Vicki. And I'm Kim. And these are the episode credits for Friday the 13th, the series, season two, episode six, Master of Disguise. Series created by Frank Mancuso Jr. and Larry B. Williams, written by Bruce Martin, directed by Tom McLaughlin, original air date, November 11th, 1988. So we're back for season two, episode six, Master of Disguise. The cursed antique from Friday the 13th wiki is a makeup case belonging to John Wilkes Booth that temporarily grants its deformed owner good looks after it's covered with blood from a murder victim. So our warehouse connection for this week is Jason Blicker, who plays Todd. He was like the director's assistant in this one. He played Aaron Sawyer in the warehouse episode Trials. And that's the episode where the pilot forgets how to fly the plane and the surgeon forgets how to operate and they all revert to childlike behavior. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was a tie clip or cufflinks or maybe both, if I remember correctly, but it was being used by a mother trying to protect her son from murder charges. Oh, okay. So I think Aaron Sawyer was the attorney in that episode. Okay. Okay. That's pretty much our only warehouse connection that I could find. Mm Mm-hmm. So this week I decided to just watch it once and leave my theories in again because it kind of gave us stuff to talk about last week. (laughs) So So this episode opens on a movie set with the lead actress complaining to Sandy, the director, that her leading man is not on set. After she storms off, his assistant tells Sandy that he's checked his hotel and his dressing room, but he uses the words he's vanished again, so we know this is not a first-time issue. Then the director calls a wrap on the day. So we see someone watching some of the actresses from the rafters. And so I assumed that at least one of them would be dead very soon. And it would would probably be the one who goes back for her purse. So she hears noises and sees a door closing. A fan starts and stops, and her purse is tossed on the floor near her. She tries to run, but a large spotlight is pushed over on top of her. Someone sops up the blood and puts it in a jar. We can only see his hands, and they sort of don't look right. Right. It's like they were diseased or something. Yeah. But they never show us his face. So over at the store, Jack and Ryan are packaging items in paper and making fun of Mickey, who's fixing herself in the mirror. And we find out that they're working on a William Pratt movie. William Pratt is apparently a big star. And as they point out, while still sort of making fun of Mickey's excitement about the whole thing... That he's handsome, romantic, rich, and I do believe Jack says yummy. (laughs) I think he did. He did. Come on, you guys. He's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Not to mention one of the most handsome. Romantic. Rich. Famous. Yummy. Back at the set, the director and his assistant Todd are dealing with the police due to the murder. But they're more upset about the holdup in their insurance costs than the death. Mm-hmm. So William Pratt is in his dressing room putting a mysterious box away. We know it's mysterious because of the music that's playing. Right. So Mickey and Ryan arrive on set, and of course Ryan slams the box of antique props down after Todd yells for quiet. Mm-hmm. He's always got to do something. I was expecting a lot more of, it, of Ryan's behavior in this, and I didn't get it. There were a couple scenes where I was like, okay, here he's going to do this, and he didn't. I was kind of surprised. So they begin rolling, and we eventually see Pratt. Mickey is enamored with him as she watches the scene. Pratt notices Mickey and comes over to introduce himself. Later, Pratt goes to his dressing room and finds a reporter inside. His name is Geary, and we know this because Pratt ordered Todd to get Geary off the set earlier. 
He said he doesn't do interviews with scum, so apparently they have a history. Gary seems very interested in Pratt's past. It seems that no one knows much about it, and no one's ever heard of him until three years ago. And he seems to think there's a story there. So he threatens to go on air with what he knows. He doesn't tell us what he knows, but he threatens to go on air with what he knows. He questions the name William Pratt. He says, why did you take the name William Pratt? And he said, because that's my name. But Gary had already gone through the dressing room and found the box, and the box had the initials of JWB on it, which is John Wilkes Booth, obviously, but he doesn't know that. And actually, if we didn't look up the cursed antique ahead of time, we wouldn't know that either. So Pratt throws him out. Pratt is now alone in his dressing room, and he looks in the mirror and begins to freak out. But we don't see anything. In the next scene, we see Gary calling an entertainment show asking for a five-minute segment on Pratt the following day. There's a knock on the door, and the person says he's from room service with champagne from Mr. Pratt. So Gary thinks he's trying to apologize or he's trying to con him into not telling what he knows or something. Mm. So Gary answers the door without even looking at the person delivering the champagne and heads in to take a bath and listen to his latest spot on whatever gossip show he's on. So the delivery man comes into the bathroom and throws the TV or radio into the bathtub and electrocutes Gary. At one point, while Gary was yelling at him to get out, it looked like he recognized him. And I thought he said I knew it, but I couldn't be sure. Okay, wait a minute. So I must have missed something. He threw the radio in. Was it supposed to be a gift in a gift box? Or was it just open and plugged in? I couldn't tell if it was one of those little TVs or if it was just a radio. But he was listening to his entertainment show or whatever while he was in the bath. Yeah, it was plugged in. Okay, yeah. Okay, yes, that's right. Yeah, but before Pratt, well, we don't know it's Pratt at this point, but it is. Before Pratt throws it into the water, Geary was yelling at him to get out. And it looked like he recognized him. And he said, I knew it. I thought he said, I knew it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't remember. So on the set, it looks as if Pratt is accusing the lead actress Tanya of investigating him, but when he grabs her neck too hard, the director yells cut, so we realize they're shooting a scene. I thought he was going after her. I did too. Okay, so it wasn't just me. I did too. He then turns his attention to Mickey. Mickey mentions that she's seen the scene so many times that she could recite the lines herself, and Pratt immediately takes her to the director and wants Mickey to play the lead. After some convincing, the director agrees reluctantly. So here, I started thinking this was all about Mickey's red hair. Because I wondered why he was so drawn to Mickey in the first place. And then the director said that Tanya's red wig was Pratt's idea. And then I thought about the picture he was looking at in his dressing room that we didn't see. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if it was some long-lost love with red hair. Do you remember that? I remember that part, yeah. yeah. Because they said th- that the red wig was his idea. That's what got me thinking about all these other things. And then the makeup lady says that he's never like that and is usually like an iceberg. But I wasn't sure what red-haired had to do with people getting killed since we already knew what the makeup case does. Well, I already knew what the makeup case did because I look up the artifact beforehand. But I was convinced this had something to do with somebody with red hair. Either it was somebody from his past or somebody he was trying to win over. So we learned that Mr. Pratt does his own makeup. And he also has his own makeup case. And he says it's his good luck charm. And he never lets anyone near it. And so this seems to make Ryan a little bit suspicious. 
Now, Ryan being suspicious, I understand we always say this, they do this every week, but mm-hmm. at this point, nothing had happened to make him suspicious except that this guy wanted to go out with Mickey. So I almost thought at this point his suspicion was coming out of jealousy. Right. Because nothing had happened. They didn't know about any dead bodies that I'm aware of. He said he'd been looking into it. But that was much oh, that later. Was later. Yeah. Oh, okay. This was just him being suspicious. See, I figured his suspicion started because he was jealous. I don't know. I don't know. To me, because you got to realize, you're, you're on the set. It's not like you were on the set just for, I'm saying one day, because it seemed like this might have been like in a 24-hour period. I don't know how long he's on the set, but sometimes, have you ever walked in a room, look around, and just get an eerie feeling that, mm, that uh, with that person, there's something not right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I think it was like that for Ryan. Sometimes there's something that you that you feel. True. That could be absolutely be. But they didn't make that clear at all. They never a, make anything clear. Right. And it was just all of a sudden he was suspicious. And I felt like his suspicions originally stemmed from him being jealous. Mm. Because you can't deny the fact. Well, maybe you can. I don't know. But I always get the impression that he has a thing for Mickey. Mm-hmm. To me, it seemed like a, a brother-sister relationship to me. I don't know, because they both get a little bit kooky when the other one's with somebody else. Right, but, I mean, sometimes that's what, you know, I used to do that to my brother. If I didn't like the girl. Yeah, but know. it just seems like they never like anybody. You know what I mean? Right. To, to me, that's still like a sibling thing. To me, they're more like siblings. But, you know, going back and forth and everything else, I think that's, to me... That's what it is. Now, I don't know about later on, but right now, that's what it is to me. They're like, they, they got this sibling thing going. And uh, like I said, I don't remember, so your guess is as good <laughs> as mine. But that's always the way I took it. But like I said, it's to me, it seemed like he was suspicious for no reason. And maybe it's like you said, he just had a feeling about this guy. But then when he heard about the makeup case that he doesn't let anybody touch, then he really got suspicious. And then, yeah, he kind of had a little bit of a reason to be suspicious because that's what they do. Right. And the same, that's why I didn't understand why Mickey didn't understand this. Like I said, I think she didn't understand it because at this point right now. We just went through this last week. Right. Didn't we just go this this, last week with her? Yes, with Ryan. But what I'm saying is, At the point where he got suspicious, there was nothing to be suspicious about. Nobody had died or anything. Right. So he was just suspicious of this guy who has a makeup case, which a million people have a makeup case. You know what I mean? Right. So he has no basis to be suspicious at this point. That's what I'm trying to say. He might be suspicious, like you said, because he has a feeling about the guy. But at this point, nobody's dying. They're not hunting for an antique. They're working as prop people on a movie. In other cases, they're already hunting for an antique or things have happened. Like last week with Ryan, things have happened. So that made sense for Mickey to try and talk, explain to him. I mean, all the things were there. She's a violinist. It's a cursed violin, you know. At this Mm -hmm. point right now, in this point of the episode, there is no reason in the world for him to be suspicious. All he knows is this guy has has a makeup case. You know what I mean? Right. So he's suspicious of this guy with no evidence. Whereas Mickey had tons of evidence last week and he wouldn't listen. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. So at this point right now, he doesn't have any reason except that the guy has a makeup case. And because he does what he does and he's already suspicious of this guy for whatever reason, 
he chooses to be suspicious. He's... Well, now just thinking about it, though, too. Here we're talking about a guy that's a star. You know, he's famous, and the, the ladies are swooning over him. So maybe in the minds, I think he could be a playboy, too. You know, breaking women's heart, just using them. Right. You know, yeah. so, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And that could be a good reason for him to be suspicious of him, but it doesn't mean that he should be suspicious of him that he has an antique when they're not even looking for an antique. Yeah. And nothing's happened. They don't know about deaths or anything yet. You know, a girl died, but I don't even think they know about that. But it, it's only one person. It was a freak accident, according to whoever. So that's what I mean. He doesn't have any a solid reason to be suspicious. Later, yeah. he does, and Mickey still doesn't believe him. And yes, we did go through this last yeah, week. Yeah, that's what I mean. This is- so Mickey does the scene, and in the background, we see Tanya calling someone on the phone. Tanya, the other actress. And although the director liked Mickey, Tanya spoke with her lawyer and said they'd be suing them if they use her. So Pratt tells the director that he'll tell Mickey himself, but I kind of figured at this point he was going to kill Tanya so she could have the part before he has to tell her, but it didn't work that way. Right, I thought so too. So back at the store, Ryan's checking the manifest, but he doesn't even know what he's looking for. He's just looking for this guy's name in the manifest. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no antique, there's nothing happening. And he's warning Mickey that she shouldn't go out with William Pratt until they know more about him. And then this is when Ryan finds out that in every film he makes, someone dies. Now he should be suspicious. Mm-hmm. I get why he's suspicious now. But Mickey doesn't believe him, of course, because there's nothing in the, in the manifest and really no reason for Ryan to sp- suspect anything other than, as he points out, why he'd choose Mickey, the prop girl, to go out with. Yeah. Ryan wonders why, out of all the actresses and everything around, he'd choose Mickey. Right. Mickey leaves, and Jack comes in and asks what happened. And Ryan remembers the makeup case. So I don't know why, when he was going through the manifest looking for Pratt's name, that he wasn't looking for a makeup case. That's Mm -hmm. the whole thing that started him being suspicious of him. Right. So why doesn't he remember that when until Jack asked, what should we be looking for? And he finally remembers, oh, I forgot about the mag- makeup case. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, but part of it happens. We forget, you know, it's just like walking into a room. You go in there to do something. Then you forgot what you walked in there for. You got to walk back out and do it over again. Yeah, but that was the whole reason he got suspicious. Because the lady said he had a makeup case that he wouldn't let anybody touch. And then I would have forgot about it. Too. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I would have forgot about it. I would have been looking and going, what am I looking for? <laughs> Pratt does his own makeup. He's got a, a makeup kit that's some kind of a lucky charm or something. Makeup kit? I've seen something like that. Makeup case once owned by John Wilkes Booth. The actor who shot Lincoln. Hmm. He sell it to Jeff Amory, no address. We gotta find him. In the meantime, maybe you better keep an eye on Mickey. Make sure she's never alone with Pratt. And if you see that case... I'll get it. Yeah, and Roth. So Jack finds a makeup case in the manifest, and he says it once belonged to John Wilkes Booth, and it was sold to Jeff Armory, but there's no address listed in the book. So Jack sends Ryan to watch Mickey. Now, Jack sends Ryan Jack to watch Mickey Ryan to watch sends- and to grab the case if he sees it. Then we move to Tanya in her trailer talking to herself about Pratt giving her part away, like, you know, she's having a whole conversation. And Pratt comes to her door and tells her he needs her, and Tanya tells him to go away, but he comes in anyway. 
so Tanya, before she actually looks at him, says something about them trying to make the movie with that cheap bimbo, meaning Mickey. And he replies with, don't talk about Diana like that. Which further fueled my theory that there was some long-lost love with red hair. She finally looks up and we finally sort of see his face. And of course she's terrified. He kills her with her ward and takes her blood. So the box looks like the blood just absorbs into it. And then he opens the box and applies some of the makeup. Now, when I read the artifact description, it said that the makeup works when the blood is absorbed into the... They didn't say he'd be smearing blood all over his face, too. I know. That was gross. (laughs) I just thought he'd be taking the makeup out and putting the makeup on his face. I didn't know there was going to be all this blood all over the place. When he comes out of the trailer, he's the handsome William Pratt. And the trailer explodes as he's walking away. So this is where I decided that I'm thinking I'm going to continue to take notes on first watch so I could get my first reaction and all the ridiculous theories I come up with along the way. But I'm not going to look up the cursed antique ahead of time. I'm going to wait until the episode's over. Okay. Because I looked it up for the beginning of my notes, so I knew what I did. Even though I had that redhead theory, it didn't make sense to what I knew what the artifact did. I knew the artifact made somebody handsome. So the whole redhead thing I had going on in my head didn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So I thought I was wrong the whole time about this redhead thing because it didn't really make sense to what I knew the artifact did. Right. So I'm just going to watch the whole episode blindly so my notes are going to be me watching it blindly. Because I come up with a lot of theories during these things, but if I'm making notes from my second watch, I, you know, I already know what's going to happen. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Space, the final frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, the Star Trek Discovery series, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Next, we move to Mickey and Pratt's date, a dinner somewhere near the water outside. So Mickey tells him that she understands about Tanya keeping the part, so he must have told her. I didn't think he was going to tell her. I thought he was just going to kill Tanya and let her keep the part. He must have told her somewhere in between. So Mickey talks about his lack of privacy and how it must be hard on him. But he says he's had enough privacy to last a lifetime from when he was a nobody. And he says he's happy to be with someone who likes him for him. So he talks about Beauty and the Beast and how, in his version, the Beast wouldn't change because the Beauty loves him for what he is and not what he looks like. And I think right there, just for a second, and I don't know if you noticed it, Mickey's looking a little bit guilty or ashamed of herself because she's kind of fangirly about him. And she doesn't really, really know him for him. It was just a really quick expression on her face that made me think she felt bad because she doesn't know him and she's really just interested in him because he's a handsome actor. I mean, she does get to know him, but... At this point, this is their first date. Go on, wait. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So Jack goes to visit a friend who sounds like he's a talent agent. And Jack asks him about Jeff Armory. 
His friend says he remembers him and calls him the hunchback and Dracula's slave. He calls him an ugly son of a gun. Jack asks what happened to him when his friend shows him the photo of Jeff. The agent tells him that he made a movie with an actress named Diana Lamb, who was a beautiful redhead. She went out to spend time with another man, and Jeff followed them and killed the other guy with an axe. Diana ran from the scene, but she fell off a cliff and died. They found him holding her dead body the next day, and he was sent to a psychiatric facility. The agent didn't know what happened to him after that. He said, for all I know, he's dead. So Jack comes back to the store and asks Ryan, who I believe was told not to let Mickey go near Pratt, but he's still in the store. Jack, well, she would have left anyway. I know. He's the stalker of the group. He can't follow her. Jack told him to keep an eye on her and don't let her be alone with Pratt. Right. And Jack comes back and says, where's Mickey? Oh, she left. <laughs> I mean, he honed these stalker skills in the last few episodes. <laughs> right, yeah. But well, he has it for other women. That's what I mean. That's why I said it's not a Mickey. It's not like a, a romance thing because if it was, if he was really wanted Mickey, oh, he would have definitely stalked her. Uh, yeah, but I'm surprised he didn't follow her because that's what he was supposed to be doing. And uh, right, but that's know. not a love conquest. If it was, oh, you know, he wouldn't even been there. Mm-hmm. So Jack shows Ryan the picture and tells him the story about Jeff. What did you find out? Oh, plenty. Where's Mickey? I don't know. She uh, left before I got up. Is this Amory? That's Amory. He was in love with an actress called Diana Lamb. She was a redhead, too. He killed her lover in a fit of jealous rage with an axe. Then he went after her. And you think this could be Pratt? It's possible. It's possible. We've got to get that makeup case. Jack stays at the store in case Mickey calls, and Ryan goes to the studio to look for the case. At the studio, Pratt is trying to find out why they're not shooting. Mickey's in the car, and Ryan's sneaking around trying to get to the trailer. So the director tells him about Tanya's death, and the police want to speak with Pratt. Meanwhile, Ryan has made it into Pratt's trailer, and the director is telling Pratt that he's shutting down the production due to all of the deaths. But Pratt threatens them with a lawsuit for breaking his contract. Now, number one, he's complaining they're not shooting, but he wasn't there to shoot because he has Mickey in the car. Right, yep. I don't understand that. So Ryan finds a framed photo of Mickey in Pratt's room. He kind of looked at it oddly. So was that a picture of Mickey? It absolutely was a picture of the actress playing Mickey. Or was this supposed to be a picture of Diana who looks just like Mickey? I don't know. I thought it was Mickey. The only reason why I'm saying that, even the look on Ryan's face, first my thing was, how did he get a picture of her so quick? That's what I'm wondering. But then I'm saying, well, they were on the set for that moment. She was in that dress. Yeah. It was the same dress. Anybody could have did it, and they could have had it ready and done, because if they had a dark room somewhere on the lot, it could be done. Or it could be the woman that was fell off the cliff. I don't know. Well, but I thought it was Mickey. Well, I, I was positive it was Mickey. Obviously, the, it's the actress who plays Mickey. But the way Ryan reacted to it is what made me start thinking it wasn't Mickey, and that Mickey looks exactly like this woman. Yeah, but when he looked at it, my head was, how did he get a picture so quick of Mickey? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, how would he get a picture that fast? So it must not be her, but I don't know. So like I said, if they got a dark room on the set, um, they certainly think it do, even though it's back in the day. True. So Pratt shows up to come in his trailer, so Ryan has to hide in the bathroom. Pratt picks up some things and unlocks the drawer to get the box. And now, Ryan's peeking through the bathroom, and I'm like, here we go. He's going to come crashing out of the bathroom. Or he's going to open the door and make noise so this guy's going to hear him. I expected him to do all these things that he always does, but he didn't. I did, too. Yeah. (laughs) So, Pratt takes off with Mickey, and Ryan can't stop him. Pratt tells her he's taking her where no one can find them, 
and they end up in a room in a hotel or somewhere, maybe, I don't know. But in the morning, Mickey wakes up, and I really thought when she grabbed his head to kiss him that he was going to have converted back to his own self during the night. <laughs> yeah, me too. Didn't you? And he'd have the face of Jeff instead of Pratt, but mm-hmm. he was beginning to, and he realized it, and he ran into the bathroom. So I wasn't sure at this point if he had extra blood in his case or if he has to kill every time he uses it, and I thought maybe he was going to have to kill Mickey... But in the first scene, we saw him putting blood in the jar, so I assumed that he could save it. Right. So Bill comes out of the bathroom with a towel on the original spot, and the rest of his face is clear, so I guess maybe he can save extra blood. They just didn't show us. But he tells Mickey the spot, which is now gone, is just an allergy thing. And he wants to take Mickey to a place near Evergreen Lake, which is where Diana died. Yeah. So Jack and Ryan are still trying to find Mickey. But she left a message on the store machine telling him that they're going to Evergreen Lake. So at least she told him where they were going for a few days. And that she thinks she loves him. (sighs) So listen, as far as we know, she was going out on one date with this guy. So does she always pack a nightgown and clothes for a few days when she goes on a date? (laughs) I mean, seriously. That is your walkout with anything. But, I mean, she had a nightgown. She had different clothes on in the car when they went to the set. And now they're going to the lake, so I'm sure she has lake clothes. I mean, I understand being prepared, but most people don't pack for vacation when they go on a date. Right. (laughs) That this was continuation. It wasn't like it was one day they went out to dinner, right? It's like it was all blended in. They had a night out, they went to his place, and then we're on to the next day. Or am I wrong? Yeah, that's what it seems like. They went out, and then in the morning they went to the set, and she was wearing different clothes. And Ryan says she hasn't been there for at least 24 hours. Right. What, did she pack all this stuff? Yep, must be. For her date? She had big plans, I guess. (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) In reality, you know, it has it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack freaks when he realizes that, that she's going to the lake where Jeff killed Diana's lover and where Diana died. Now, when Jack told Ryan the story of Jeff killing Diana's lover, he said that then he went after Diana, but that's not true. The agent told him that Diana ran when he was killing the lover and she fell off a cliff. Right. So I don't know why they put that in the script, because that's not what the guy told them. Right. So Jack and Ryan rush off to the lake. Pratt and Mickey show up at a gas station, and he says his allergies are bothering him, and he asks the attendant to use the washroom. But Pratt can't get the box open. I don't know why. I don't know if his hands are messed up. I don't know if there's blood all over. I don't know. And it also looked like he didn't have enough blood. He was. It looked like he was trying to get blood on the box, but there wasn't enough or something. Right. So the attendant goes to the door to look for him because Mickey's worried, and Pratt kills him. So now he's trying to get the blood on the case, and Mickey shows up banging on the door because she is freaking annoying. The guy is in the hotel in the bathroom, and she's banging on the door. Right. She's, like, freaking annoying. (laughs) When she's banging on the door, he drops whatever blood he had in his hands. He had enough to fix himself, but I imagine this meant that he didn't have any extra for the next time because he dumped it all in the sink when he dropped whatever he had in his hand. So they leave the gas station and head for the lake, and it's dark when they arrive. And he starts acting weird when they get to the cabins. Mickey asks where they were, and he said, I thought you loved it here, which she doesn't seem confused by. And then he asks her to go check them in, 
and he specifically asks her to get room number five. And it seems as if he's starting to have another attack in the car when Mickey goes in. She comes out to find the car empty. And then she walks around in the dark looking for Pratt and sees lights go out in the cabin at the end. So, of course, she walks into the dark cabin and doesn't turn the lights on. Pratt calls her Diana and tells her to stay away. And he says, he doesn't love you, I do. And at this point, I'd be out of there. But she keeps listening to him rambling about Diana and how she loved the other guy because of the way he looked. Mickey's kind of going along with this. She doesn't know what's going on. But I still would have kind of left. Right. Yeah. And called somebody, at least. I mean, I'm not saying take the car and leave, but go somewhere safe and call somebody for help. So Mickey says she loves him for what he is, and she says she'll never leave him. And then he calls himself Jeff. She makes him look at her, and she is finally frightened. And at that point, he was trying to strangle her, but she tells him she loves him. And he kind of stops because she told him she loved him, and he believed her. Jack and Ryan finally show up, and she holds him until Jack and Ryan come in. She tells them it's all right, you know, so they don't attack or whatever they were going to do. Ryan grabs the makeup case, and then they just stand there watching Mickey cradle the guy. I mean, she did feel bad for him. There's no doubt in my mind that she felt bad about the whole thing. Oh, yeah, she did. She did. Yeah, she did. I mean, even I felt bad. Because to me, at one point, it seemed like he wanted to hurt her. And then after, he didn't want to hurt her. I was conflicted on that one. You mean in this room or you mean throughout the whole episode? No. Well, throughout the whole episode, I think he was being genuine to to a degree. Yeah. Even towards the end uh, with her, I was conflicted. I think at one point it was genuine. Yeah. They both liked each other. Yeah, I think so too. And he mm-hmm. did want to hurt her when he thought she didn't love him. But then when she right. told him she loved yes. him, he stopped. Right. Yeah. Back at the shop, Jack and Ryan go into Mickey's room to check on her. And Jack calls her brave, and Ryan tells her that they'll, I guess, the authorities, will put him somewhere where he'll never get out. But Mickey said all he wanted was to be loved for who he was. Ryan says that he thinks they all have a little bit of that in them, which is true. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And then Mickey thinks that's why he chose the simple name like William Pratt, which was mentioned earlier by the reporter, who wondered why he chose that name. Mm. But Jack had a story about that. Jack talks about an actor he'd met years ago who played only monsters. Mm-hmm. but was the one of the kindest men he ever met, and the actor's name was Boris Karloff. Oh, okay. But his real name was William Pratt. Oh. So I'm wondering if the reporter made that connection, too. Okay, okay. Cool. I don't know. So did I miss anything you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, the only thing I think to get when the actor, the first one fell, he took the cord and tripped her. Her foot was caught up in the, um, the wire for the um, light set. Oh, so he didn't knock the light over on her? She did that herself, kind of? Well, kind of. It was kind of a two-way. In order for her to fall, he pulled the cord. Okay. Like, her foot was right in the loop, and and then after all of a sudden, that's when the light came down. Oh, okay. It was a two-for-one, and that was pretty good. Oh, you know what I keep forgetting to tell you? You were off a couple weeks, and then I forgot. Back when we did Bottle of Dreams episode, you know, the clip show, Mm -hmm. which actually on the day that we're recording this, it just published yesterday, you thought that one of the actors was in two of the clips. Uh So the Cupid guy and... I think you thought the the guy in the comic book episode was the same guy. Right, yeah, yeah. But what I didn't realize, and I came across this, I don't remember what I was looking up, but I came across it by accident. The guy who played Cupid was in another episode. It just wasn't one of the clips. Oh, okay. He was in Brain Drain. Oh. 
He was the disabled guy who took over everybody's brains. Yes, yes, okay. I'm wondering if that's what you were thinking. Maybe that's what it was, but I know I just remember seeing him twice. Yeah, and I didn't realize that was him. I knew he was in more than one episode, but I didn't realize that was him when we okay. wa- when we right. watched that. So I was wondering if that's why you were thinking you saw him twice, because you did. It just wasn't in that episode. All right, that makes sense. So other than that, do you have anything else? No, that's it. All right, so we'll be back next week with episode seven. Yep. Okay. All right, we'll see you then. See you then. Bye. This is Doug reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash 13th Warehouse, on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, and on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse. You can listen to The 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th, the series edition, Suspense Night, provided by Anton Kornienko, Pixabay user 147-98912, free for personal or commercial use. See you next time at the warehouse.